Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in Killarney Mennonite Church this morning. I, uh, um, Natalie asked me some time ago, what do you want to do for your birthday weekend? And uh, I kind of thought, boy, it'd be fun to go out to Turtle Mountain and spend some time with folks out there. And I thought, boy, if there'd be a chance to, um, to spend time with you folks too on our way out there. And uh, so I called up, did I call Danny? Did I call, I forget who I called. I called someone and uh, anyway, begged and pleaded and stuff. And they said, okay, okay, we'll let you speak. Kind of thing. But uh, I remember when I was here last time, November 16th, uh, it was, I think, the mission conference. And um, I know it was kind of a hard-hitting sermon that time and stuff. And probably the funniest thing was uh, a comment someone made after. And, and I don't want to embarrass you. If that person's here, don't, don't raise your hand or anything like that. But they said, the thing I really liked about your sermon, this is, I think, an, a word-to-word quote. The thing I really liked about your, liked about your sermon was its brevity. So <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or like, you know, anyway. Kind of reminds me of the fella that uh, he, was, he was speaking and stuff. He preached, you know, those of you that preach, you know, you just pour your heart into the sermon. You, you present it with all your heart and stuff. He goes to the back and he's shaking hands with everybody as they go by. And this little old couple comes up and says, you know, preacher, that sermon was divine. And, and, you know, like you get a compliment like that. It kind of goes to your head, you know. That sermon was divine. He's like, and the little old man says, you know, it reminded me of the peace of God. It surpassed all understanding, you know. <laughs> His wife chimed in. She's like, it reminded me of the mercies of God. I thought it would endure forever. You know? <laughs> it's, it's hard being a preacher. You know, it's, it's not, you know, it's no, no laughing matter. You know, it's, it's definitely tough. But, uh, and I know for some of you, it's Sunday mornings. It, okay, let me put it this way. I, for years, I've struggled with, str- with trying to stay awake through the Sunday morning sermon, okay? Guilty as charged, you know? It's hard, you know, all week we're rushing here, there, and everywhere, and Sunday morning you kind of sit for like half an hour or an hour, two hours, however long the preacher goes kind of thing, and so I have a hard time staying awake, but I finally figured out the way to stay awake through the Sunday morning sermon. Be the one giving it, you know? <laughs> This one guy, one guy really struggled with falling asleep during the sermon, you know, and uh, his wife was so embarrassed, you know, in the middle of the sermon, you'd be like, you don't fall asleep, you know, and so she talked to the pastor, she said, what can we do about his, his sleeping in church issue, what can we do about that, you know, and the preacher said, what do you do, you get some Lindberger cheese, you know, and you just wave it under his nose, he'll wake up and, and he won't fall asleep again. And she, so, so she thought, you know, that sounds kind of clever. You know, we got to try that, you know. So she gets her cheese, wraps it up in a Ziploc bag, puts it in her purse. And, and sure enough, the next Sunday, halfway through, well, five minutes into the sermon, you know, the guy's out cold, you know, snoring away. She pulls that Lindberger cheese out of her little plastic there, out of her purse, waves it under her nose, uh, under his nose and stuff. And all of a sudden, he jump, just jumps up in the middle of the sermon and says, Honey, get your feet off the pillow! You know. <laughs> so you might not want to try that one. <laughs> This, uh, we're, we're on our way to Turtle Mountain, and it's, it's exciting the things that are happening out there. We're out there for Family Day in June, and uh, they're just on the verge of building a new dining hall kitchen, and uh, there's some exciting ways to be involved, and I think Matt has kind of spearheaded something that's very exciting. You guys all heard about the Canola for Camp campaign? Yeah. Any of our radio ads playing at all? No? Yes? I don't know. Okay, if next, next time your grain hopper is full of canola, you just truck it down to Crystal City and, and they'll take delivery. You get a tax receipt for it and all that kind of good stuff. And it's a chance to support uh, the camp in a very practical and, uh, and uh, very hands-on way. Let me just uh, bring my mic down again. 
There we go. See if that's a little bit better. But uh, this morning I want to speak on the topic of uh, in the waiting room. In the waiting room. We find ourselves so often in life waiting for things. Natalie and I were driving along. We're driving in Chicago. Uh, she was driving, actually, and I was praying. Um, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. You know, um, <laughs> trying to figure out how to advance this thing. Which button do I use to advance it? Is it top, middle, bottom? Right side? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's logical. Oh, there we go. Yeah, we, true story. Driving along in Chicago, you know. That speed limits there. You guys all driven to Chicago? I mean, speed limits everywhere say, like, what, 55? Everybody's barreling through there at 75, 80 miles an hour. If you go 55, I mean, you will see Jesus face to face that day. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so we're driving along. We see this, the back of the truck. Skip the waiting room. Skip the waiting room. I couldn't resist. I took a picture because I thought, isn't that life? Isn't that how we want to be? We want to skip the waiting room. We just want to get on with things. Like, the, the whole idea of sitting and waiting for things, it's not fun. Not fun at all. In fact, uh, this, this fella, just waiting for the bus. Because my car got towed, you know. <laughs> but waiting is normal. We spend so much of our life waiting for things. Kind of like this story. Um, maybe I need to point it somewhere. Oh, there we go. Uh, waiting is normal. This, this uh, receptionist says, I apologize for the wait. And the person that's been waiting says, please don't. I don't get to be uh, still off. And it was nice. Just um, about a month ago, uh, Natalie was helping me with our lawn. And, and I'm not sure what, what happened. She's doing some trimming and stuff. And, and that evening, her knee started to swell up. And she could hardly move it, you know. By the next morning, it had moved to the other knee. She couldn't move, you know. So we managed to get her, get her to a walk-in clinic. And the doctor took one look at her and said, you need to get to emergency. So we took her to emergency and stuff. Well, you know, I mean, this major health concern and stuff. And we sat there and we waited, waited, waited for two hours before they finally let her in and, and started taking all her blood and stuff, you know. And uh, we still don't know what it was. But uh, anyway, Natalie just said that, you know, that time in the waiting room, all the, the whole day we dropped her off or we, we came there at about 10.30 and left at, what, 6.30? I mean, and, and you know, just the, almost the whole day just waiting. But you were saying, Natalie, that it was just kind of, Having some peace and quiet actually was a little, little bit nice, you know, not that you like being in a hospital waiting, but uh, so often in life we just race around and then so to actually have a time where we just stop and, and listen is a good thing. But waiting in life is normal. You go to a restaurant, you will wait. You'll wait for the person to come serve you if once you get a table, you know. You'll wait for the food and you wait for the bill and stuff and you're waiting. You know, one guy was in a restaurant and calls over a staff member and says, hey, is it customary to tip waiters in this restaurant, you know? And the staff member says, sure it is, you know? And the man says, well, bring me my tip. I've been waiting for two hours, you know? <laughs> but those of you that have kids, you know waiting is normal. I mean, you gotta wait nine months for that youngster to come into the world, you know? And then what happens? You try and get them to talk, you know? You know oh, Johnny said his first word today, you know? Or get him to walk, you know? Oh, she took her first step, you know? And the rest of your life, what do you do? You tell them to sit down and be quiet, right? You know? <laughs> Did you know that, that having children is hereditary? Did you know that? You know, if, you're, if your parents never had kids, you won't either. <laughs> We're talking this morning about waiting, but uh, if you travel anywhere in Canada, you will wait. Um, Vernon was talking about, I think we met in Minneapolis or something like that, and uh, there we go. 
And, and uh, we, we love traveling. We go to the uh, National Quartet Convention where we get to hear some great music for a whole week. But uh, it, it was kind of funny. After the National Quartet Convention last year, we traveled down. We had a little bit of time off, so uh, we just looked at the map and went, oh, another 700 miles. We're in Sarasota, you know. So we jumped in the car and just barreled down there and spent four days in the sun. And, well, then we had to go back to work, you know. Playtime was over. And so we left Sarasota, you know, the, the home of uh, the, the American Mennonites there. And so we had our, our big feast at Yoder's Restaurant, the, the Mennonite feast there, and uh, left about noon on Friday and just, you know, kind of drove back, stayed over around Chattanooga. And the next night we're in Minneapolis. By, by Sunday supper, we were home, you know. And the first, the first set of traffic lights we saw on that whole journey on the highway was in Morris, Manitoba, you know. So uh, you got to love the uh, Canadian highway system. Uh, you can travel anywhere in Canada, you will wait. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the length of the wait is inversely proportional to the amount of time you have, okay? You ever, you ever thought of that? The bigger the rush you're in, the longer the wait will be. Well, next time you're sitting at the traffic lights, you might remember, I, it, the seeing traffic lights makes me think of how God answers prayer. You know, sometimes you look, and it's a green light. You don't say, Lord, I ask you for this. And he grants that petition. He says yes, you know, and answers that prayer. Sometimes it's red, and God says no. You know, that's not what I have for you at this time. Well, occasionally, God answers with the answer of wait, you know. And, and this, is, this is a bit where the analogy breaks down, because so often in life, that time of waiting, that we're waiting on God, just seems so terribly long in comparison to, you know, when we bring something to him and he says yes, or, you know, he says no, or whatever. Those wait times in life seem to be terribly long, whereas at your stoplights, the uh, amber light is typically only about four seconds, whereas the other ones are a lot longer, you know? And uh, the, other, the other thing where it breaks down is that if you go to, for example, Winnipeg, and you wait or stop on an amber light, you'll either get honked at or rear-ended. So, so you don't want to take this illustration too far, you know, because it could really get you in trouble. But uh, uh, to quote uh, controversial pastor Rick Warren, I, I like the quote he says. He said, God knows exactly what you need most. When you don't get what you ask for, it's because he has something far better in mind. So sometimes in life we ask God for things and he, you know, he says no. Or he, he says just wait, you know, the timing's not good, you know. And uh, sometimes he's got something far better in mind for us. The word wait occurs in scripture 144 times, you know. I'm sure there's something spiritual about that because that's such a biblical number, right? Occurs 26 times in the Psalms. Well, if we look at scripture and some of the stories, uh, Noah waited, right? I mean, he was building that ark for, what, 120 years and stuff? And then they get all the animals in the ark and, they, and God shuts the door. The rain comes and they float around for, what, 150 days? They're waiting then for the, the waters to go down. They, uh, they uh, get parked on Mark, Mount Ararat there and stuff. And, and uh, he sends out a raven and they wait, you know. Sends out a dove and they wait. Sends out the dove again and they wait. A lot of waiting in Noah's life. Or we could talk about uh, Abraham. Abraham had to wait as well. And um, we find that uh, Abraham and Sarah didn't do so well at waiting. Um, maybe you can advance that one for me. Um, but uh, we find, if you look at world history and the results of, of what happened with Abraham and Sarah and the, them not waiting for things and the mess they made, uh, certainly uh, we still have that in our world uh, today. There we go. Okay. Um, we just, and I guess my encouragement to us here this morning 
is when, when you're trusting God for things, um, rushing ahead or taking kind of uh, the, the easy way out is a way to make a real mess of things. And Abraham and Sarah are certainly a story of that. Or we've talked about Joseph, the coat of many colors guy. Remember him? He had all these dreams. He dreamed that, what, the sun, the moon, 11 stars were going to bow down to him and stuff. And all these sheaves of wheat were going to bow down to him. And then he ends up in this Egyptian prison, you know? you got to wonder what his thoughts were. Like, what were those dreams that I had way back as a little boy? What was that all about, you know? And finally, years later, it happens. God fulfills uh, his... Uh, saw, uh, no, Joseph saw how those dreams had come to pass. Or the story of David, uh, anointed as a youth. There he was playing his harp uh, to the sheep. And uh, Samuel comes along and anoints him king of Israel. What happens next? Not a whole lot. He kept playing his, playing his harp, kept shepherding the sheep, you know, until the time where God, uh, where the timing was right for God to bring him to uh, the throne. And, and in those years, as in the years between him being a shepherd boy and becoming king, he had a couple of opportunities to kill King Saul, the guy who was king at the time. But he said, no, I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. He knew that in God's perfect time, he would be king. He'd been anointed and he could trust God that God was going to fulfill his promise. We could go on to the New Testament and in Acts 1-4, Jesus' uh, followers were gathered together and being assembled together with them, it says, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to what? To wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So waiting is normal. Sometimes it's even scriptural. Sometimes we're commanded to wait. I find in my life there's been many times where I've had to wait. I, I think back to the summer of 1983. My, my sister was a counselor at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp in 1982. Now that's kind of dating us a little bit. We're, we're, we're pretty ancient. But anyway, I mean, when I was a little boy, the Dead Sea was just really sick, you know? But... Um, Anyway, so, so I wanted to work at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp and teach VBS and all that stuff. There we go. Uh, in uh, 1983, but the problem was my, my birthday's in the middle of the summer, and uh, it's, it's past now, so, so it's not no guilt trip because you didn't bring your birthday card and all that. But, uh, no. Um, and the, the CSSM had a rule at the time that if you weren't 16 by July 1st, you could not work at camp that summer. So I could not work at uh, a Turtle that summer or at any other camp of CSSM for that matter. And so I spent the whole summer, you know, painting or staying this uh, log house for these people from our church and, and weeding their trees. And then this farmer hired me. He had this old John Deere combine with no cab, you know. You guys ever combine with no cab? I mean, it's just like, wow, that's a, that's a, a sneeze waiting to happen or whatever. <laughs> I, 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 I still don't know what God had, you know, why God had me wait that whole year. But anyway, uh, or you ever notice the longest year of your life? It's from 15 to 16. You know, you're waiting to get your license so you can drive, so you can, you know, kind of do your own thing. I mean, that's such a long year. And after that, it just goes faster and faster and faster and faster, you know. But uh, waiting is part of life. Or think of, of the whole thing of radio. I, I went to college. I know, uh, you know, you may not believe that, but I did go to college. Um, and and, and well, when I was in college, some people said, Harold, Harold, you have a face for radio. And um, <laughs> what? Oh, sorry, voice for radio, voice for radio. Um, and, and 
still, but it, from when they said that to when I actually got my uh, open door into radio, it's like 10 years. So waiting all these years, Lord, you're driving this 18-wheeler all over North America going, God, surely you have something bigger than this for me. And so, yeah, waiting is part of life. Well, boy, I don't want to get started on how long I had to wait for God to send my life's partner for me, but uh, my sweetheart certainly has been worth the wait. And you're probably sitting there thinking, boy, that's nothing. I've had to wait a lot longer for something. And I imagine most, most of us here, if not all of us, have had to wait for things. What are you waiting for? Well, Scripture tells us that God waits as well. God waits as well. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord will wait. The Lord will wait. Why? That he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted. Why? That he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. So God is waiting to be gracious to you, but he desires us for us to wait for him uh, so that he can bestow his blessings upon us. Well, we find that when God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, that he waited as well. And the story this morning, the focus of my message, now that was the introduction, and I think uh, we're almost, wow, almost out of time. But uh, our, our, our focus this morning is on John chapter 4, and I invite you to turn there with me. We're going to be studying uh, just how, how God in human form was waiting. The Bible says in John 4, 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Now that's a whole sermon in itself. I mean, there he is in the south kind of thing. He needs to go to the north. And uh, in the middle is kind of this section called Samaria, where, where, well, essentially the people that had been Jews intermarried with the locals, kind of living like heathen. That's where they lived, you know. And uh, if you read, we've been reading, Natalie and I have been reading through the Bible, when you read in uh, Nehemiah and Ezra and stuff like that, these Samaritans, they really caused a lot of grief for the people of God. So fast forward now 400 years, there's Jesus uh, walking, and he's like, he had to go through Samaria. And um, actually, I, I was able to track down the story in video form, so you can feel free to read along. The rest of it, uh, I, I just got a short little video that'll kind of present the story in video form. So let's uh, roll that In Samaria, he came to a town named Sychar, which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by the trip, sat down by the well. It was about noon. some water. Give me a drink of water. His disciples have gone into town to buy food. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink? Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. If you only knew what God gives, and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him. And he would give you a life-giving water. Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get that life-giving water? 
was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this wealth. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. You don't claim to be greater than Jacob, do you? Those who drink this water will get thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring, which will provide them a life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again, nor will I have to come here to draw water. Notice what he says in verse, uh, I believe it's 13. Um, whoever, drinks of the, um, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. There's Jesus waiting at the well. This woman comes along. She's in need of a savior, and, and Jesus you know, is waiting for that moment to share who he is with her. And if um, I won't take the time to read this whole chapter, but this is one of those remarkable passages in Scripture where Jesus, you know, reveals himself. Uh, so often in Jesus' ministry, people would come up to him and say, who are you and stuff? And, and because of the political situation, he would answer in some uh, very, very clever, coy way. But in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And now listen to Jesus' answer in this, in this one, verse 26. Jesus said to her, her, I who speak to you am he. I mean, how much more direct and plain can you get? Here she says, you know, we've been looking for the Messiah. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Uh, what a great uh, revelation to her. And here she's been seeking fulfillment in life, trying to find fulfillment in all these different things. And Jesus said, you know, the water in this well and in, in the things you're looking for in life will only satisfy temporarily, if at all. But he says, I not only will fill you, but what I can give you is like a spring of living water in your life. Now, I have the privilege of hosting a Southern Gospel uh, radio program, and I realized during the summer, the bombers bumped the broadcast, you know, on CGRB and stuff. I'm not bitter, but uh, we, we are also, if, if you enjoy Southern Gospel, the, uh, the, the station out of Portage also carries us Sunday afternoons at 2 and so if you're kind of like, man, you know, whatever, then you can also tune in there. I just, that's an aside, bit of a, um, yeah, just a, a note there. But uh, one of the things uh, that Natalie and I love is when we get to talk to the writers of the songs. And, and if you've ever caught the radio program, Natalie does a segment called The Hymn of the South. And, and so and those, those hymns, great selection of hymns this morning. Great, I uh, just love, love singing along. We, um, <laughs> we love going to... Uh, to Chicago, uh, there's a church there pastored by Erwin Lutzer, a farm boy from Saskatchewan, called Moody Church. And uh, that's the place, it's just, uh, we love going there because it's, it's basically, um, they have, what, a 100-voice choir and a 50-piece orchestra and this 4,400-pipe organ. I mean, I love your organ here. Good job playing that, Gertie. I mean, that was, that was great. But imagine 4,400 pipes. Yikes, you know. And so uh, we just love going there. And they you know, they still sing the old hymns and stuff. And, and to have 2,000 people gathered together I mean, sometimes I just stop singing and just listen to all the people singing and just the beauty of the worship in the place. So we love researching the, the songs of the faith. You know, what caused those songs to be written? Because so many songs are written out of hardship. You know, people were living hard stuff. And, and in the midst of that, you know, um, what's the song written by the guy who lost his whole family in the ocean? It is well with my soul. What a remarkable song. You know, here he, his whole business investments had all gone 
you know, been destroyed. He sends his family to Europe so that they can have a bit of a getaway. The, the, the ship they're on goes down. They're lost at sea. And he comes across the ocean. And as, as the boat is crossing, as the ship is crossing uh, the same spot where his uh, children drown kind of thing, he writes, it is well with my soul. Like, what a story, you know? But anyway, we've got... Um, uh, we don't have, I, I think that songwriter is long gone, but uh, we have uh, songwriters today who are writing things, taking the words of scripture and turning them into, into great gospel songs. And uh, the favorite songwriter of the last 15 years is uh, a gentleman by the name of Rodney Griffin. And I love catching up with Rodney and just kind of saying, you know, what's, you know, what have you been writing recently? Because, you know, his dad's a pastor. And so they'll be sharing ideas back and forth. And out of him comes some great gospel songs. And the favorite song of 2001 was a song called uh, He's Still Waiting by the Well, based on John chapter 4. So I talked to Rodney uh, about that song. I was reading in the scripture one day about Jesus uh, waiting for the lady Samaritan woman there as he passed through Samaria. And the Bible said that Jesus was weary, so he sat thus on the well. And I thought, wow, there's a picture. Jesus is sitting down on this well for the first time made me realize how many times we've waited on God to come and move on our life. But this time, God's waiting on man. He's sitting there waiting on this woman to come by because he knew she needed the living water that we also desperately needed. And I began to write the song. He's still waiting by the well today. Um, he's still holding out his hand, and he's still ready and willing to save anyone who will ask him. I'd like to share that song with you this morning. Now, I realize not everybody's a Southern Gospel fan, and I'll pray that you'll repent, you know, but <laughs> just kidding. But, uh, but I hope that the, the words of this song will, will bless you this morning, uh, because so often, uh, you know, like the woman at the well, she was looking for her fulfillment in, you know, in relationships. She was looking for fulfillment in pleasure, and it wasn't satisfying. And so often in life, rather than us digging into the Word of God and just letting Jesus fully satisfy our souls. We're looking for fulfillment here, there, and everywhere. And this song says, he's still waiting by the well. He's still waiting. And maybe you've never invited Jesus into your life. He's waiting to, uh, to come into your life. And so let's roll that video now. He's still waiting by the well.
by. Um, and this morning, so often in life, we, we turn to so many other things. And Jesus says, um, he who drinks of this water, the water in that well in particular, but in the water that, that the world gives will thirst again. But uh, he who uh, drinks of the fountain of the water that he gives, uh, that fountain of water springs up into life eternal. In Revelation chapter 21, uh, Jesus says, in the, in the end of time, he says, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. So even 2,000 years ago, Jesus said to the woman, you know, I am the fountain of living water. And at the end of all time, he says, I'm still the fountain of living water. So often, though, we neglect that fountain. There's a verse in Jeremiah that, uh, that really kind of grabs this concept, okay? Uh, Jeremiah writes, my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so, so often, that's what we do, isn't it? You know, there's Jesus offering us this living water, and we turn from it. We, we forsake that fountain of living waters, and we, we try and find fulfillment somewhere else. And, and as Jeremiah says, we, we um, dig out cisterns for ourselves. I don't know if Killarney, if you guys had cisterns back in the day in, in the Red River Valley, they always made these cisterns. Did, did you have cisterns here? Yeah? Okay. So you know what those are? I mean, we never, I, I guess, yeah, we never really had them. So, um, but anyway, so the idea is that you, you have a section of your basement, and it's filled with water and stuff. But Jeremiah says, you know, Part of the problem here is that we, we've made cisterns and those cisterns can't hold water. Imagine, you know, you're going to have your coffee in the morning, you turn on the tap, there's nothing there because the cistern has dried up 
it's drained out. You know, you go to have your shower and there's no water there. And so often in life, we're, we're looking for things and the cistern is dry. You know, we're looking for fulfillment in things that simply don't satisfy. I mean, for example, wealth. You know, people spend their lifetime pursuing wealth, trying to, trying to get that good retirement, trying to get that, you know, get ahead financially and get, you know, be rich and that kind of thing. And you're climbing that ladder and at the end of your life, you find out your ladder's been leaning against the wrong wall, you know? And, um, you know, people pursue wealth and find too late that it doesn't satisfy, you know? Some wise character said that a man with seven children is more content than a man with seven million dollars. You're like, what? You know, seven children more content? Yeah, a man with seven million dollars wants more, you know? <laughs> that probably wasn't a good place to throw that in, but anyway. <laughs> but so often we, we look to find fulfillment in wealth or in possessions. You know, you get that beautiful boat, you know, and well, you know, eventually it runs aground or something like that or the motor stops working, you know, and it's disappointing, you know. Or you get that newest combine, the new big John Deere or the whatever, whoever's making combines nowadays. And it's like, how long does that fulfillment last? How long, you know, does that shiny green machine last on, in that dusty Killarney field, you know? And, and we, we pursue all that stuff and it leaves us empty. Or we, we try and find our fulfillment in people, right? In relationships. Oh, you know, like, you know, you know, guys, you know, if she would only pay attention to me, my life would be forever perfect, right? It's just like, come on, you know. Or those of you that have families, you know, you've got, you know, you, you didn't make the NHL, so, oh, little Johnny's going to make the NHL. So you push him through all the hockey stuff. Oh, you know, like, you're at hockey practice at 5 in the morning and playing hockey till midnight on Sunday, you know. Or, or little Jamie or whatever the girls are called nowadays. Uh, you know, she's going to be the next Celine Dion or the next great singer, the next great, you know, and you push them through all these music lessons, you know, and you're trying to find fulfillment in people. Now, guess what? It doesn't satisfy. And then there's the pursuit of pleasure. You know, we, we, we're on this pursuit in, especially in our culture, right? Just pursuing pleasure, you know, the pursuit of pleasure, avoidance of pain, you know, we're doing all this stuff. And, and it, it takes us all kinds of crazy places, you know. Uh, I mean, you see these kids in junior high, and, and they're experimenting with, you know, with drugs, marijuana, for example, you know. And, and that first little, you know, whatever, it's like, oh, it gives you this high. But boom, then there's a low, right? And then you need to take more. You don't get higher, but the lows get lower. And then you get onto, you know, bigger drugs, more expensive, more illicit, more, you know. And, and the lows just keep getting lower. The highs aren't getting any higher. And eventually there's just, just this bondage that grabs hold of you. And you're just in this total bondage to drugs. Some people turn to sports, you know, trying to find fulfillment. You know, if only the bombers would ever win, you know, or whatever. Thankfully, they're doing a little bit better this year. But, uh, or, or we try all kinds of, you know, we see people in our world. They're, they're, they're uh, trying to just rebel against the things of God, hoping that that's going to give them fulfillment, you know. This whole thing with, with uh gender change, redefinition of marriage, you know, this stuff is being rammed through the courts, the Supreme Courts, and that kind of thing. These people pushing it, trying to find some kind of fulfillment, but it's going to leave them empty. It leaves them empty. And this morning, I don't know what, what you're living, uh, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, but I just want to take a moment as we wrap up to, uh, to wrap it up in prayer. And there's three things that I'd like to uh, pray about this morning. And one is the whole area of salvation, right? Uh, I know, you know, most of us here, you know, you made a decision for Christ, you know, and stuff. But perhaps there are some that, that are here this morning and, you know, you know, you've never made that 
decision to follow Jesus. And uh, just like that woman at the well, she was searching, she was seeking, and maybe you're here this morning, you're seeking, and you're desiring a relationship that's going to fulfill, and that relationship, my friend, is only found in Jesus Christ. And if you've never uh, invited Jesus into your life uh, this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to single you out. Um, if there's someone like that, we'll just say a prayer together, and, uh, and uh, we'll perhaps have Pastor Danny connect with you and, and get you going in your walk with the Lord. I think there are a lot of us here this morning, though, and, and this is a struggle I know in my life, where we're so often, okay, we've made that decision to follow Jesus, but we're looking for fulfillment in stuff that doesn't satisfy. You know, whether it be, like I said, you know, wealth or relationships, whatever it is, you know, and instead of drinking deep at the fountain of living water, finding our joy or fulfillment in Christ, we're looking for it somewhere else. And I know for myself in the last couple of years, uh, you know, ever since signing up with Facebook, you know, you start your day, well, what's happening in the world of Facebook, you know? And this year, it's like the Lord has been speaking to me. It's like, you know what? Let's start the day together. And I tell you, my days, when I spend time in this book, it is so, so, uh, I mean, it's indescribably better than starting the day with Facebook, you know? And, and I know there's probably a few of you that can relate to what I'm saying, you know? But we're looking for fulfillment and stuff that, that isn't uh, able to satisfy us. So that's the second area that I want to pray about. And the third area is, is the whole, this whole area of waiting. I imagine that there's many of us that are um, in waiting phases of our lives. You might be waiting for a wayward child to come to the Lord, maybe waiting for, you know, perhaps if someone's single here, waiting for that spouse to come along. Uh, who knows, you know, waiting for a financial turnaround. And, uh, you know, as God's people gather together, we can bring those requests to the Lord and trust in Him to do great things. So um, this morning, as I, as I bow to pray, let's just take just a few moments to let God search your heart. What, what is God's Spirit saying to you this morning? So I just ask us all to bow our heads and close our eyes as, uh, as we bow. This morning, perhaps you've come and uh, perhaps you're a visitor, perhaps you've always attended here, I don't know, but uh, perhaps you've come and never uh, made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. And, uh, and as you've uh, been listening this morning, uh, hearing who Jesus is and, and how he is the fountain of living water, perhaps the God's Spirit is drawing you to, uh, to Jesus. And uh, the Spirit's nudging you and saying, today, is the day of salvation. Is there someone that says, you know, I want to make that decision this morning. I just ask you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that. Is there someone that says, I want Jesus and I want him now. Perhaps this morning, um, like so many and, and myself, you know, we've made a decision to follow Jesus, but so often we're looking for Fulfillment in, in things that don't satisfy. We're not uh, just basking in the beauty of our Savior, but we're looking for fulfillment in other things. And, and perhaps the Spirit's been stirring your heart this morning, saying, you know, let's spend some time together. Instead of, you know, starting the day and, you know, whatever it is, Facebook or, or just, you know, doing online stuff, let's spend some time in the Word and, and, and in communication. Uh, is there someone that God's kind of stirring your heart this morning?
Thirdly, perhaps there are some this morning that say, you know, uh, I've been asking God for, uh, I've been asking for God to move in this particular area of my life. Maybe you got a bad report from the doctor and, and you know, if it's not for a, for a touch from the great physician, um, things are looking pretty dire. And you say, you know, I want Jesus to touch me this morning. Uh, perhaps someone's needing a touch physically or a touch uh, financially. You know, perhaps things are looking bleak. You talk to the banker and things aren't looking so good. And you need a touch of the Lord in that area. Or maybe you need a, a relational uh, touch, a healing in a relationship. Is there someone here this morning that says, you know, pray for God to touch you? And it could be an unspoken request. And uh, is there someone here that says, pray for me? I'm in a period of waiting. I need God to move. Lord God, thank you that you are here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder that you are not only living water, but you're the fountain of living water. And I pray this morning uh, for myself and each of these dear friends gathered here at Clarny Mennonite Church that your spirit would take this word, that would take this, your spirit would take this message and ingrain it deep in our hearts that those mornings where we get up and we're wanting to just rush into our day, that we would just stop and say, you know what? I want to start with my Savior. I want to start and just enjoying my Lord, uh, just take, taking your word and just enjoying you for who you are and just the beauty uh, of, of that relationship that we can have with you. Would you stir that in our hearts so that we would be people who, uh, who love you in a deep, profound, and fulfilling way. I just pray that you would convict us in those times where we look, at, uh, uh, look for fulfillment in things that don't fulfill, that we're, we're finding ourselves empty, looking to things that, that aren't uh, in any way fulfilling in our lives. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are, that as we spend time with you, as we get to know you more, we find more and more how fulfilling you are. And so I pray this morning for those that are here that uh, uh, perhaps have a need, perhaps we're uh, fearful of raising hands or whatever, but uh, Lord, I know in a crowd this size, surely there are those who need a physical touch from you. Perhaps uh, they got a bad report from their doctor. Perhaps uh, their finances are needing a touch from you. And uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified and move in a mighty way in the hearts here this morning that need a touch from you, in the families, in uh, relationships, in the finances, in the health that needs a, a God-sized touch. We thank you that you are still the God who does miracles. And we ask for you to move in this place and in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I leave you with one verse, and it's Isaiah 41. That's been read, I think, a couple of times already this morning. And I remember I said in the King James, but they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Thank you, Harold, for your challenging message. And let's uh, take our hymn books and turn to number 355 for our closing song, 355. We'll sing the first three verses, and then I'll ask Harold for the benediction, and then we'll sing the last verse. Let's uh, stand to sing. <laughs> 